Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with the author of over 100 books, entrepreneur, business owner, hypnotist, personal coach, influence and persuasion expert, sales consultant, and master of human nature, George Hutton. He was born in Long Beach, California in 1966, graduated from Wilson High School in 85, then he graduated from San Diego State University with a degree in physics in 1990. He worked for Medtronic Cardiopulmonary from 90 to 2000, from 2000 to 2004, he traveled to various countries and began studying various esoteric topics like hypnosis, NLP, Reiki, and meditation. He taught English in Taiwan, South Korea, and Japan from 2004 to 2019. These days, he lives in Lincoln, Nebraska, where he continues to create and market self-development products. Enjoy this interview. Joe, Joe, what's going on? Good, how are you? I'm good, man. How's life today? So far, so good. Okay, there you go. Weather's nice. Where are you located? I'm in Lincoln, Nebraska. Okay. All right. We're in the Midwest. I'm in Kansas City. Okay. Okay. Yeah. My The engineer for my jazz show has a show called The Neon Beat. It's the American Songbook. And he's from uh -huh. Lincoln. He started on the radio there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he has a lot of good I've memories. I've only been here for about three years. I originally am from California. Okay. Then I spent about 15 years in Asia teaching English. When I came back from Asia to live in California, I found that it was far too expensive. So I decided to try out the Midwest and Lincoln's where I landed. Okay, cool, man. Well, we're, we'll, we'll peel back the onion layers and get into all of that. And I want to begin our conversation with what we've lived through for the last three and a half years with COVID. How did you get through the pandemic and how did it change you? I lucked out because I was in Japan and then for the past five years in Japan, while I was there, I was kind of thinking to myself, this is going to be the last year. This is going to be the last year. And I finally came back and I got out just before it happened. And because while I was teaching English in Asia, I had been slowly building up a business online. I had enough sales to support myself without needing a traditional job. And so the lockdowns didn't really affect me that much. And I had kind of trained myself by my lifestyle in Japan. I was working so much in my business. I didn't really get out that much. So I didn't really feel that much of a difference from my end of it because I really stayed at home all day anyways working on my business. I was kind of worried that it might negatively impact my business by people being worried about getting losing their jobs and staying home. But it didn't actually really affect my business. So I just kind of lucked out through the whole kind of COVID lockdown process. I got to admit, though, at the beginning, I was kind of freaked out. I thought this was going to be some huge Stephen King, the stand type disease. It was going to destroy all humanity. And I was freaking out. What am I going to do if the Internet goes down and I can't make any money? Whoa. But then it, it just turned out to be not really that big of a deal. Yeah. But I, I really just kind of lucked out through the, the whole the whole process. Sounds like it. So, you know, there's a lot going on on paper. I mean, you, you're an author of many books, an entrepreneur, business owner, hypnotist, coach. There's so many things. So I want to really get to the essence and heart and soul of what you do. So I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders. It's career day. One of the kids looks up and says, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer I, that? I teach people how to talk to other people so they can make other people feel really good about the conversation. Okay. And they can make friends that way. They can sell products that way. They can create relationship way, that way. And it makes people feel a lot more confident when they go out in social situations and want to talk to other people. And that's, that's what I do. That's essential. So what did you want to be in the third grade? What was your dream? When I was a little kid, 
at second or third grade, I went to this amusement park and I remember I was a volunteer for this, this animal show where this guy would train dogs and cats to do tricks. And I got pulled up on stage and the dog sat next to me and I was supposed to whisper something in the dog's ear. And the dog would go backstage to a woman's bedroom, grab an article of clothing, come back out. And so I whispered, get the bra, get the bra. And the dog went backstage. He came back with a bra. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this dog can speak English. But then my brother explained to me how the trick worked, that when the animal trainer gave me all the different choices, he kind of leaned heavily on the word bra. And he kind of put that idea in my head. And I was just fascinated with that process of how you can put an idea in somebody else's head. And then a couple of years later, my brother was in high school and he got called up on stage for a hypnotist who came to give a demonstration at their school. And under a state of hypnosis, they were told to think of their favorite food. And then the hypnotist gave everybody a lemon and said, here you go. Here's your favorite food. And they all ate the whole lemon, just grinding everything. And I remember when I was very, very young thinking, when I want to grow up, I want to be a hypnotist. That was one of many of my dreams when I was a kid. Another dream I wanted to be when I grew up was I wanted to be a professional baseball player. But by the time I got to junior high school, I realized that I kind of sucked at baseball. So that wasn't going to happen. Another dream that I had was I loved science. I didn't really want to be something. I just knew that I liked science. When I was in junior high school, I read all kinds of science books that had the math stripped out, books on relativity and quantum mechanics and particle physics. And so when I went to college, I naturally majored in in science and physics, and I got a degree in physics. And then I worked as a scientist in a laboratory, a research and development laboratory for a long time. But then after that, I kind of got burned out when I went to Asia to teach English. That's when I rediscovered my fascination with language and the stuff that you can do with language. Most people have this kind of half-baked ideas, and they kind of spit out their ideas with, with poorly put together words, and they're not that articulate. And the more I studied language, the more I realized this is almost like as close to magic as you can get. Yeah. And so what I wanted to be turned out to be, I took a very circuitous route to end up being a, a hypnotist like I originally wanted to be. I got sidetracked by science and hopefully baseball, but then I'm back to the language and hypnosis and sliding ideas into people's heads. So let's get to the essence of how this happened, the seeds that made you who you are today. Take me back to where you were born and raised and what these seeds that were put into you, because you're very diversified, obviously very involved with science and hypnosis and writing and all these things. How did that happen? Well, how it happened, I don't really know. I just, I, I guess I'm living, accidentally living the advice of Joseph Campbell, who studied mythology, and he says, follow your bliss. And that's kind of what I've been doing, just following the stuff that I like. I mean, I got to admit, when I was in college majoring in physics, people would always ask me, what are you going to do with a degree in physics? And I said, well, I have no idea. And I didn't have any idea. I just knew that I liked doing that. So I was born in Long Beach in the 60s. I grew up during the 70s while the inflation and in my family was not very financially well off. So there's a lot of stress. I went to school like a regular kid. I went to high school like a regular kid. My grades were not that great because I wasn't that interested in school. I kind of eked my way through. And I just like science and I, I didn't really have any specific reason why or what I wanted to do with science. So I just kind of followed wherever the life took me without yeah. really much planning. I, so I kind of just ended up here without really much of a plan. I want to say that I had this master plan all along, but yeah, it's, I just, this is where I ended up more or less. So you're a prolific writer. What was the first book you read that really opened the doors up and made you want to either write or read more? 
the first, the actually the thing that made me decide that I could really write a lot of books was a documentary or a book that turned into a documentary on HBO that was called Going Clear, which was a documentary about Scientology. And I read the book and apparently L. Ron Hubbard, before he started Scientology, don't worry, I'm not going to go off on a Scientology tangent. Right. But he was a prolific science fiction author. He would just write and write and write. And just the idea that that was possible to just keep writing a ton of books and just keep spitting them out. That was like, oh, wow, I wonder, I wonder if I could try that. And that's kind of what put my mind at let's just start writing and see what happens. And I kind of created a daily schedule where I would write every day for about an hour or two hours before going to my regular job in Asia teaching English. And that just that process allowed me to just continuously spit out books about one book every month or so. Wow. So uh, you mentioned baseball. I'm curious, you know, as a baseball fan, if you could go back in time and see any game in the history of baseball, where would you want to be and watch? Without question, I would love to watch the home run by, I can't think of his name. The guy played for the Dodgers. He had a knee injury. He came out in the Kirk Gibson, 88. Kurt, yeah, that's right. Kirk Gibson. I would have loved to have watched that live. I was watching that on TV, but if I was there when that happened, holy cow, that would have been phenomenal. That call Vin Scully made on that, I've, I've yes. watched that at bat over and over. Do Man. you believe in miracles? <laughs> <laughs> but the whole lead up, because he kept fouling them off. It was an yes. epic at bat. Like, the, I remember that, and I wasn't a Dodgers fan, but, I mean, that team was really good with Hershiser and all those guys. So Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, i tell you the event that I would love to have seen, and I was a huge Mets fan in 86. If I could have been uh -huh. at that game where that ball went through Buckner's legs just oh. to feel that crowd. Uh -huh. Oh, man, the euphoria. And Vin was on that call, too, which was really good. So uh -huh. um, so who's been a hero for you? Who's been a motivating factor for you in your life? Probably one of the most influential motivating factors was this boss that I had for about six months when I worked for this biomedical company and he was this really, really, really kind of rough around the edges character. He had invented a lot of our main products are a lot of cash cows. And so he was kind of intimidating to a lot of people and he was coming to visit us before he was our boss. And I wanted to pick his brain about some things I needed to figure out for our laboratory work. And he kept, I felt like he kept blowing me off. And one day he was walking out of the lab, and I just lost it and just let loose a string of cuss words at him. And he turned around and I thought, this is it, I'm fired. But he just walked up and calmly explained the answers to all my questions. And after that, we developed this kind of really close relationship. We were going through a really busy time at work. I had to come in on Saturday. He had to come in on Saturday. And we would meet like an hour before work at this Denny's nearby and just have breakfast and talk about stuff. And he taught me a lot about how the industry works, about how salespeople really work, about the marketing department and what they're, how they're really, really working, how the, the regulation is always trying to control everything. And he really kind of unconsciously mentored me for about six months. And I would say he had probably the most influential effect on me even though he was only my boss for about six months and that was that was a fantastic time in my life because i felt like i was really being taken care of by this kind of giant of the industry does he know that no he doesn't so you know what's interesting it's like the hard-nosed coach it's it's yeah. when you stand up to him because there's a part of them that wants that their ego needs right. that and right. then and then they admire you and then it becomes yeah. a relationship. Yeah, that's what happened. I was flabbergasted by how that turned around and and I didn't really notice how much he helped me until 
I started moving on to the future several years later, but he was really, really looking out for me in ways I didn't understand until much later. Yeah. So if you can meet anybody on the planet right now, anybody that's influential that you have admired, who would you love to meet and talk to? I would probably, well, that's a tough one. There's a lot of uh, political economic commentators I'd like to meet, like maybe David Stockman. I've always been a fan of his. Yeah. Um, maybe a lady named Nomi Prinz, who writes a lot on economic issues. She used to be a banker at Goldman Sachs. As far as general leaders, there's not really anybody that stands out. There's some people that I would like to meet that are no longer with us. Like I'd love to be able to speak German and have a conversation with Nietzsche, yeah. for example. That would yeah. be mind-blowing. But people that are alive today, I would probably some, maybe somebody like Stephen King, because he's someone that I've always admired. He, when I was in junior high school, I read The Stand twice. I was just so taken by that book. I would love to kind of pick his brand and find out where he gets his ideas from, because that yeah. guy just been has been writing forever. Wow. Are you kidding? Yeah, the prolific nature of him. Um, if you could go back, if you had some kind of time machine and you could witness one event in human history with your own eyes, what would you love to have seen happen? I would love to watch the Battle of Marathon. Yeah. That is probably one of the most upset victories in history, but it's also one of the most pivotal battles in history. Because it happened at a time kind of right when Athens was starting their whole democracy experiment. And they had kind of angered the Persians. And the Persians were going to come and take revenge. And the Persians' plan, according to some historians, was to show up at Marathon, take over the city at Marathon, and then expand their empire into Europe. And if they had succeeded at Marathon, Western history would be completely different. Yeah. And the story of how they won the Battle of Marathon was that they were just the Athenians by themselves and they desperately were outnumbered. They needed help from the Spartans. And so they sent a runner, the famous runner, runner Philippides, who ran up to Sparta to try to ask for help. The Spartans said they're busy. And this was before they were kind of like on the same team. They kind of had their own kind of empires to worry about. And the runner came back and said, it's just you guys are on your own. But the good news is the god Pan I met on the way back, he said he'll help you guys. And the god Pan is the god of panic. That's where we get the word panic from. And so the Athenians said, well, it's the best we can do. So as the Athenians were marching against the Spartans or the, against the Persians, they tried this very recently created battle strategy. When, the, when they closed ranks to about 100 yards, the Athenians just started sprinting like crazy, like Viking berserkers. just ah! And they just demolished the Persians and the Persians backed up. And the Persians went back to their ships and the Persians plan B was to sail around and try to attack Athens directly, which was 26 miles from Marathon. And when the Persians went to their boats, the, the Athenians marched back double time and they were there waiting for them. Like, come on, round two, no problem, man. And the Persians just went up and get, went home. They gave them wow. home. And that's, that led to the what's called the Persian Wars, where Athens and Sparta were kind of teammates against the Persians. And that kind of solidified the origin story of the, the the Greek and the Greek culture and democracy and all the philosophy that they invented, which would all have been different had they lost the Battle of Marathon. Yeah. So I, I would I would love to watch that sprint of each other. Ah. Yeah. I keep thinking about Braveheart when, when they yeah. were doing that, yeah. you know, going gonzo. 
So you clearly have a lot of motivation. What is that motivator for you that gets you out of bed, that gets you to want to accomplish and do what you want to do with your life every day? I see my motivation as having two sides. One is I have a long history of momentum of doing the same thing every day. So I can't imagine not getting out of bed every morning. It's something that's inconceivable to me. I mean, I get up every morning. I get up at 4.30. I do about an hour of calisthenics. I take a walk in the morning. I come back. I do my work. And I just can't imagine not doing that. Even when I have days off, when I plan days off, I still do the same thing. So I have a huge amount of momentum. But I also have this huge ambition. I want to just teach what I've learned to as many people as I can. And whenever I make a lot of sales, that's cool for a minute, but I think I need to get this idea out to more people because I get so much positive feedback from my customers. They tell me that it's improved their lives so much. I just, I just feel the need to just push these ideas and these strategies and these skills out there as much as I possibly can. So I kind of have an ambition on one side and a, and a, a long, long momentum on the other side. You have fulcrum, like a lot. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot that goes, I, I totally get it. So of all of the people that you've touched in all these different capacities, uh, what's been one of your best, most favorite fan letters that you've gotten from somebody? There's one guy that I've been working with recently. And before he found my material, he went to all these pickup artist boot camps he lived in LA. He did. He told me in one year, he approached thousands of women all unsuccessfully doing the same thing over and over and over again, never improving. And he read my books and that completely changed his mindset of what it actually means to walk up and talk to another human. And he said that gave him such a feeling of, of freedom that he doesn't have to close every woman he talks to. He doesn't have to get a number or get a bed count notch on his bedpost. He just wants to walk up there or he feels that he can just walk up there, make her feel good. And that's good enough. And he said that has given him such a huge amount of freedom and it reduced so much stress. Yeah. So let's say you have a dream tonight. You run into a 20 year old version of yourself and you could give that younger version of you a piece of advice based on the wisdom you've gained. The, the things you've overcome and accomplished in your life, what advice would you give your younger self? My younger self, I would say, don't drink so much. Because <laughs> I spent a lot of time in my youth drinking way too much, and that wasted a lot of time. Yeah. That's one of the things I regret the most looking back. I don't regret a lot, but wasting all that time, wasting all those nights just getting hammered every night, I would tell my younger self, don't do that. Your life can be so much better if you don't do that. Yeah. But as far as my career and everything, I don't think I would make a lot of changes. So of all the things that you've done in your life so far, what are you the proudest of? The proudest of is something I did way back when I was in high school. And this is something that I reflect on when I need motivation to go forward. I worked at a pizza shop with a guy, my boss, and he was a semi-pro soccer player. And in high school, I had wrestled, I had run cross country, and I was a pole vaulter. And one day I was out jogging, and my boss saw me, and he called me later that night and said, hey, George, I didn't know you jog. Yeah, I jog. Uh, the Long Beach Marathon is this Sunday. Why don't you run it with me? I said, sure, no problem. I'm being a dumb high school kid. And the first 10 miles was fantastic. It was started off in Long Beach, and the streets were lined with people and cheering and everything. But once I got to mile 15, it really, really started to be painful. 
And there was this battle going on in my brain for the last 11 miles. Give up, don't give up, give up, don't give up. There's a part of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey structure where the hero has to go what he calls the belly of the whale, which is a metaphorical battle that the, the hero has to do with himself, with his inner demons. And I wrestled with that question for 11 painful miles. Quit, don't quit, quit, don't quit. If you quit, you can run again next year. If you quit, all your friends will say you're an idiot. So I just I just sucked it up and I pushed myself through as painful it was to finish in like five hours. But every single time I need motivation and I think I can't get through this, I remember that marathon and that thing. Is, yeah, you can get through this. Just, just suck it up, get over those inner demons and just keep pushing forward. And so that's probably my proudest achievement. You know, when I was a cross-country runner in high school, yeah. And there was a guy that ran a marathon and he was a younger runner. And we were like, how did it go? And he said the morning after he went to the bathroom and sat down on the toilet and couldn't get up. <laughs> yes, said, that's that's what happened to me. I had to work that. I was so dumb in high school. I figured I could run a marathon in the morning and then go to work as a pizza delivery driver that night. <laughs> and I had to get out of the car and walk up and downstairs. Man, that was so painful. Oh, I couldn't walk for a week. Yeah. And as a runner, I totally get that. Like your body just, it has enough. It's like, I can't yeah. do it. You know? Yeah. Wow. That's a great story. So everyone out there has this idea of you. You have different incarnations, professionally and personally, family, friends, clients, colleagues, but you ultimately run the ego, id, and superego. What is your perception of you? Who do you think you are? I am someone who likes to see other people succeed. This is, someone I, this is something I learned about myself when I was a teacher. When the beginning of class, I would teach English to these Japanese high school kids, and they would be super, super intimidated to come up on stage, and they'd be very shy, and they would have to do these skits, and they'd hold these papers close to their face and just read straight from. But by the end of the year, they would have transformed to be so outgoing. And I loved sitting in the back of the room and just watching that happen, knowing internally that I had a part in, in helping them to come outside of their comfort zone. And that just makes me feel really, really good. And though I love hearing uh, success stories for my customers. So I'm someone who really likes to see others do better than they think they can do. So coming from California, coming from Japan, these very metropolis mountains and oceans and all of these things, you come into Lincoln. Are you okay? <laughs> Is it okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got to say that I lived in Japan. I didn't really live in a big city. The city I lived in had about 400,000 people. And I rode my bicycle everywhere. I took public transportation everywhere. But in my old age, I'm kind of getting comfortable to not needing all that excitement, excitement, yeah. city life kind of stuff. What do you like the best about living in Lincoln? It's the people are very friendly. They might be, I've heard that people have called them maybe superficially friendly, but I just like the kind of genuine politeness, kindness that people have. I do a lot of walking outside and people almost always say, hey, what's up when they when we pass by each other? That doesn't really happen in a lot of other cities. You know, it's interesting because I, I was working at uh, a place we call Harvesters here and my son's mm -hmm. on the spectrum. So um, I'm trying to keep him going during the winter. So we would go and we'd work on an assembly line. And I ran into a guy from L.A. this uh, this winter and he was just like, I can't believe how nice you guys are, how yes, you talk, yes. you approach yes. us. And it's yes. crazy because I'm just used to it. I've been lifelong here in right. Kansas City. But a lot of people from the coasts and other places say, you guys just, you know, you guys have this warm feel and it's really alluring to people when they come. Mm -hmm. So 
that's a that's a good thing. Um, yeah. I I do though. You know, when I travel, you know, when I went to San Diego last summer. I went to Denver this summer. I just miss having contour and a big body of water and all of that. So <laughs> it's it's hard, but. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the beauty of being here is that it's easy because you're in the middle of the country to just kind of splay out when you need yeah. to. Yeah, definitely. You know, so. Very well, hey, logistically. Yeah, yeah, convenient. I mean, absolutely. George, this has been great. And before we get out of the digital door here, how can people get involved with your books, hire you, learn more about you, anything about your wide array of world? We got one web page that lists all of our stuff, mindpersuasion.com forward slash start. Mindpersuasion.com forward slash start. It's all our stuff there. Coaching, books, programs, anything you want to know. George, it's always so nice to run into somebody like you. I feel more comfortable on this planet with all the lunacy and and delirium that we deal with. I, I love running into grounded cats like you. So thank you for your story. Thank you for opening up. Best of luck with everything. Thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time.